Hello, beautiful human. Thanks for giving us a click of your time and tapping into our interview with Ryan Tedder, an incredible human being who's beyond wise, knowledgeable, and does kind of everything. He took us to, to school, Daniel. Yes, he did. I know how to write a hit song now. Tell us what you think of the interview. Comment below, like the interview, and subscribe. If you subscribe, we'll continue to be able to do what we do, which is uh, talk to people. Okay, Ryan Tedder's in the Zoom room. Let's go. Let's do this. How you doing? Good. You're a little sideways. What is that wall behind you? That's cool. Wait, there you go. I'm eating breakfast. <laughs> hey, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today, man. I really, really appreciate uh-huh. it. I know you have a lot going on. <laughs> Every day is making music for you, yes? Pretty much. Is it wild that Every Day still consists of pretty much music with different people? It is weird. The Zoom functionality has has really changed the game in terms of being able to do this. Like I was talking with um, a handful of writers the other day. We were talking about how after this pandemic is over, the Zoom writing sessions are not going to end. This is a new normal. I mean, here, let me grab this towel. <laughs> this is a new normal for, for songwriting because the, the value proposition of doing a session now is much greater because used to be in LA or London or wherever that you're, if you're a writer, if you book a session, somebody drives to somebody else's studio. And if you're in a major city like LA, you're a new writer. You live in, let's say North Hollywood, Van Nuys, Thousand Oaks. You're driving to West Hollywood to do a session. You're committing to an hour in traffic there, an hour, an hour or more back, and you're driving. And um, then you're in a room. There's usually about like an hour of just honestly BS and talking, which is great. It's fun. But sometimes it's the best part of the session um, before you get into it, right? It's not, a, it's not an efficient way of, of writing. Now, there are people who are way more energy- responsive and emotion-based writers and they don't like the kind of the coldness or the the technological you know version of songwriting i.e writing on zoom there's a handful of artists and writers who are just like i can't get with that and i totally appreciate that and i understand it i'm not that i'm more like this is amazing i have i'm getting more (laughs) i'm getting more cuts and have more singles coming out than i've had in years because of the pandemic because of zoom writing Cause I can do two sessions in a day and in between I can work on production. I can get my other writers doing stuff. I mean, I, I was just on my phone with my manager right before we took this call and, and, and legitimately, uh, legitimately have, he's like, you, you know, you've, you've doubled or tripled the volume of placements and songs in the last 120 days wow. that like compared to a year ago. And, Film, TV, uh, licenses, TV campaigns. Um, I've, I've probably, I've done three or four in title songs for films since COVID started, um, you know, worked on, it's, it's just kind of, dude, it just keeps going and it's all thanks to Zoom. So now the cool thing is 
once people know that you're good and you can deliver whatever it is that you do creatively in a songwriting session, once people trust that you are consistent and you know what you're doing, Zoom really weeds out the fakers because there's a lot of hit songs now that have eight, nine writers on them. And you're like, how the hell did it take eight or nine people to write that song? And <laughs> now you really start to figure out who's doing what and who brings what to a session. Wow. And the beauty of that is like one of my writers that I just signed, um, she's in Portugal, you know, she's on vacation. She's British. She's from London, but she's in Portugal. And we just did a session for a film. And then we did a, a, a writing session for Dua Lipa and she's in a shed out behind their vacation house in like Lisbon. And I'm in my studio here. And, um, one of the other writers is in Brooklyn. So it, it, it's just like, and nobody cared. You know, it's not like I'm going, well, I can't write with you. Pre-COVID, there is zero chance I would have written with her in a session until she got to Los Angeles. I would have been like, tell me when you're here, you know? And so think about that. Like, wait, you're not here, therefore you can't be a part of the session. And like, for me, I tour all the time. So now all of the writers in LA that I love and that I work with consistently, they know that no matter where I am in the world, as long as I'm willing to be awake, I can be part of a session. So I'm not missing out on whatever, like whatever the next Selena or Ariana or whatever the next project is. It seems like a blessing and a curse, a curse in a sense that like you can eventually get drained. And I, I yeah. mean, but is there a moment that you fear that you're just gonna, well, let's start with what do you bring to a Zoom session that is like, what, what is your strength when, you, when you're in a room, um, Zoom one or a real life one? That's, that's probably... I feel like it could be better answered by writers that work with me. But what I would say is that the role that I've played is I've always fancied myself as a, I mean, the term that I used from day one in interviews was my goal is to be a Swiss army knife. And I feel like that I've, I've effectively, I've articulated that I think through the last 15 years of music, which is I can play any role in a session that is needed. So consistently um, what people I guess might count on me for is melody. Like what is the guiding melody? What is the chorus melody? I mean that with the most, you know, that's the, a lot of people can do verses all day. Chorus melody is everything. Um, for whatever reason, that part of my brain has always worked. So I can, I can, I can like find, okay, these are all great, but here's a chorus. Like, and I'm really good at um, arrangement like the 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 shape the final product i'm a finisher so like i can move things around like like lego pieces until the form is is the the form um i can nitpick on uh, arrangements and melody changes and and line by you know production i can start the track i can do the whole track you know if i need to do the track i can do the track i mean i would bring in other people to help me finish it depending on what the genre is um because you can do so much or, challenges or i can do just lyrics yeah, or I can do just lyrics. So, like, I think people know just because I've been doing it for so long. And for years, um, I was a solo writer, or what you call in like songwriting world is like a hundred percenter. So, I for years, like our biggest hits, my biggest hits, I wrote a hundred percent of and and produced. So it wasn't. Um, and so because of that, when you do that for, uh, you know, the better part of two decades that really helps you going into sessions because if people know that they know that, well, this guy, like whatever it is we need, he can fill in that gap. 
he can he can he can he can identify a lyric that's not good enough he can he can reshape a melody that's not good enough he can finish out the production if it's not good enough and that's really what i try to bring to the table is i i kind of lean in on everybody i know that if i'm in a session with uh jay cash that uh, and depending on the genre i know that lyrically i'm going to be leaning on him more than he's than than myself um he's going to make the stuff just sound cooler and stickier like lyrically he's going to lean on me for melody um if i'm in a session with lewis bell if lewis bell's in the session i'm not going to take the lead on production i'm going to lean on him on production because he's lewis bell and he he's like or ian kirkpatrick those guys you know that their whole thing is is production um so you you really learn to read a room quickly and um let an arm be an arm let a leg be a leg that's really the key to zoom sessions is everybody function as, as their, their associated, you know, body part. So never a fear of creatively burning out because you can literally fill so many different holes. So you're fulfilled. Differently. Correct. Yeah, correct. I'm a hole filler. That sounds terrible when I put it that way, but that's what I am. Um, and <laughs> point me to a hole, I'll fill it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I would say that that's that the key to survival in the music industry, long-term survival is directly correlated with, what what roles can you play because if you're a one-trick pony or you're the guy that who just does like super gnarly hip-hop you know like trap or whatever like the moment that that stuff's not popular or music evolves um you're out of business right now hip-hop is dominant um tiktok is dominant in you know and 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 hip-hop and urban music is 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 massive um and without question, in the next, I don't know, five years, like pop will be, all of a sudden we'll be talking about, remember when hip hop was was nine out of 10 songs and now there's only one or two and you're gonna have uh, Spice Girls part three and you're gonna have uh, One Direction part two, like, you know, in the next five years, it's all cyclical. So you wanna be, you don't wanna be the guy that only does hip hop when that moment comes back because they tend to last a little bit longer than you would uh, expect. and and I've seen a lot of really talented writers and producers end up cashing in all their chips and, and like, honestly, some of them going, going bankrupt because they, you get used to the lifestyle when you have hits and, and you're in the zeitgeist, you get used to it and you, people tend to spend up to their level, right. As opposed to, as opposed to living below their means. And then you get used to that. And then all of a sudden people aren't buying your tracks anymore and, and your sound is dated and it happens like that. So you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was listening to a bunch of your music and you take someone like Mustard or Timbaland, obviously great producers, but when you hear one of their songs, you kind of know it's them. With yep. you, you can just do anything and you don't really know it's Ryan Tedder working on it because you can just kind of adapt to anything you're working on. Correct. Yeah, it's the, it's the chameleon approach. Um, you know, I mean, look, what's that, that, that phrase? And I don't know if it's military phrase or whatnot, but the phrase is adapt or die. And that is more or less the way I see myself is, um, look, you know, in a, in, a, in a former life, like when I was in my last two years of high school, I was obsessed with the idea of, of going and working uh, for the CIA. And I read books on it. I went and saw Leon Panetta and like a handful of the, the whoever the guy was at the time that was, um, he was the director of the CIA came and spoke and I drove and, and listened to his symposium and I was gonna apply for a job there. And, I, and the reason was, um, you know, when I was explaining to people, anyone who would listen, why, why would you want to work, you know, clandestine services? I was like, well, 
I, that's how my brain operates. First of all, I love, like I can source anything, you know, I can get to the root problem or, or, or solution for the most part, but really it was, I, I'm, I'm confident in my ability to morph into any situation and like, like be agile and just kind of like assimilate and kind of figure it out and then move on. And, and really now what I do is just that, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's like the equivalent of the people who, you know, you go, you go on a vacation to Ireland and by the end of the trip, you're, you have an accent and, it, and it, a passable Irish accent. And that, that's always been the way my brain's operated and it works in music. And I was signed to Timbaland so for two years, you know, I followed him around. Um, I learned a ton from him. Apologize would not exist were it not for Timbaland. Um, and, you know, again, I wrote that myself, but he, the production and the vibe that he added to it was, was like, you know, uh, immeasurable. Um, but even as I was signed to him, I, I did not want to be the next Timbaland. And, you know, I learned from him and thought he was a God and still do, but his sound is so distinct in such a moment in time. And I was actually fearful of that. I thought, well, what happens when this moment passes? Like, and if that's, if, if, if your hits, if the hits that you have are directly tied to the sound that you have, then that's as that works for as long as people like that sound. But what I know about people is that they constantly crave the next thing. And no matter how good a sound is, a perfect example, LMFAO party rock anthem. Yeah. Right. And we came to party party. Rock anthem. I went back and watched those videos, all of them uh, like a few weeks ago. They're still incredible. Like I actually legitimately loved LMFAO when it came out, even though I knew that it that, that, that they were kind of joking and I was in on in on the joke. I didn't <laughs> care. I just thought it was the tracks were awesome, the melodies were awesome. Like wiggle, 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 wiggle. Yeah. Like all that stuff. <laughs> it funny enough still holds up. Like I turned it on. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And um, like I was like enamored. And I remember it got so big so fast. And and um I just thought it was awesome. Well, one there was like one or two guys that did all those hits really talented guys but now and i'm not talking about the guys in the group i'm talking about the producers and the yeah. writers right that sound right was this guy's sound the sound of lmfio was his production sound that was his style it blew up as big as you could possibly blow up but then beyond that that's like if you keep pitching those songs those style songs once you've had two or three hits in that in that world nobody wants those songs anymore but that was his sound so he was like what do i do like and and my my thought on that is hey you know better better to have one or two or three hits in your life than none so like you know if 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 all you wrote was play that funky music white boy and that's the one hit you had that's still better than not having written it amen would you say one one republic has a sound is it you? I would say we do. I would say we do. Um, I think we do. Um, I, it is a constantly evolving sound. So it's because it was never, I never, I made the mistake of not setting limitations on what the sound of the band was, which is actually a, a smart move that most bands do make is they say, we have these four instruments. So our sound is going to be confined here in these four instruments. Mm -hmm. I never did that. So that's made it hard to be in this band because you know, um, we had a, our third album native was the biggest album of our career, which is a good time to have a hit album. But then on the follow-up, I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. 
and like I don't want to do ever the labels like where's it where's your where's your like um self uh you know what would, what would you call it like your your um self-inspired like anthems or whatever and like because there was a lot of that in that on that album because that's where my head was at that frankly that's where the world was at that stuff was resonating we were like basically doing giant you know dance records like swedish house mafia style records without without any of the sounds right and um as and into that point you know songs like if i lose myself became global hits because they lent themselves my style of writing has always lent itself extremely well to djs so i've oh, I've, I've have a long history of collaborating with we our current single kygo like you know i have a long history of those collaborations because they've that's just my sensibilities and i and i love that era that swedish house mafia era to me was just so epic i wish it had lasted longer frankly but um one republic sound i would say is um you know somewhat uh uh earnest i would say it's anthemic um haunting at times um singer songwritery at times um emotive i think it's just uh, that's really what it is it's emotive and more than anything and lose somebody is a very distinct as much as it is Tygo, it is very much a one republic song it for is, sure it is yeah it, 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 and hitting at the right time by the way yeah when, when did you finish that song uh we started it um march i could tell you the exact date because it was the second week of quarantine for me that would have been like probably around march 23rd 24th is when we started it Wow. Um, and then it was finished by like May 1st. It was like, I think that's when I sent the final vocal in. And then we shot the video like mm, second week of May, I think. I mean, was that one of the fastest turnaround times for a song? Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure, for sure. Um, like that would be, let me think. Have I had anything faster than that? Um I think the answer is no. I don't think I've ever had a song go from let's do this like to like the videos out, the songs out. No, no, that's for sure the fastest. And yeah, and the by record far. didn't exist in any <clears throat> form whatsoever previously. <clears throat> no. I mean, he sent me a demo of the song. So I guess you'd have to ask him when he got that initial demo, but our 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 communication started post post lockdown quarantine pandemic craziness. Um, that's right. I got back from London, March 13th, 14th. I got back from London and that's, he hit me a week after that. And um, I immediately fell in love with the, the concept and, and dug in and started doing my own thing to it. And um, at that point I was just committed to, <coughs> excuse me, to nailing the vocal. <clears throat> the thing about DJs, all of them, um, Zed, Geta, um, Calvin, they are, um, their ears, they're, they're like, they have better ears than, than just about any other producers or writers. And their ears are extremely fine tuned to, um, vocal delivery. Like they will, they will, you can't get, you know, a, a vocal that would be good enough to work. Uh, on a solo project at radio and streaming and as a single would not be passable for a DJ. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, you look at the middle Zed, I think he had seven girls sang on the middle. Um, he just, 
I, I remember when we worked on Clarity together uh, back in the day, um, and I did this song Lost at Sea or Out to Sea on the Zed album, which is one of my favorite melodies I've ever done. Um, anyway, I was talking to him about, about Clarity, the song. And, I, and we were talking about vocal production. He's like, how quickly can you get me those vocals? And I was like, oh, I, you know, I'll have them to you today. And he was like, oh, my God. He's like, I wish I could do that with vocals. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I spent, and this is no exaggeration. He said, on, on the single, on Clarity, um, he spent between 8 to 12 hours a day for five days straight just editing the vocal of Clarity. So when you hear Clarity, that's 40 hours or more, 40 or 50 hours of, of Antone sitting here and just re-editing and editing and editing and editing. They're just, that's the mindset of those guys. Um, Alesso told me he spent on the drop for If I Lose Myself. You know, he said he spent um, two months, I want to say, six to eight weeks he did every, he did a hundred versions until he landed on the one that felt the most emotional and the most, and then, then he had to figure out the sounds and dial it in. And so when people hear songs and they're like, oh, it's a hit, it sounds effortless. You know, the, the, the perfect song, the ideal hit record sounds like it could have been written in five minutes and it sounds effortless and people don't understand. They have no concept how much time it takes and effort and expertise and knowledge and, and all this stuff to make something that's three minutes sound like sound like it took three minutes when in fact it, it could take three years. I mean, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah took 16 years to write 16 years, you know, uh, uh, um, Beach Boys. Um, now, wouldn't it be nice, but um, uh, good vibrations. So, I mean, you've, if you've seen the documentary that that took Brian uh, something like four months, five studios and is wow. still to this day, the single most expensive song ever recorded in terms of the bills he racked up to get, um, good vibrations. You know, he spent the he spent the equivalent of like two and a half or three million dollars recording the song of, in today's dollars, which is unheard of. So, what do you say to artists who are like, if it doesn't flow organically, I scrap it, I move on to another song? Because clearly, if you that's look, a, at it, yeah, that's a songwriter, that's a singer songwriter mentality. Um, there's two different. If you're an artist. And I mean, look, Ed Sheeran, I've written with him enough times to know like he, his average session, he starts five songs. He might keep one or commit to one come back the next day. You, you pick the best out of those five and you finish that one. That's his, that's his approach. But he, you know, he'll, he'll leave giant records just tossed to the side of the road that like any normal artist would go, that's my single. Right. Um, you know, and uh, some artists would argue that I do the same, that I have like just scraps of songs that I don't even mess with that, and maybe an average artist would pick up and say, that's my first single. Um, there's two approaches to songwriting. Are you the artist? Are you the writer? Because, you know, uh, one's the giver, one's the taker. If you're the, if you're the artist, you're taking. And, and it's about you and it's about your emotion and your mood and all these things. And you can maybe afford to just say, oh, I, you know, the vibe isn't right on this. I'm going to move on. Um, but, um, you know, I do the same. I don't pitch every song I write. There are some songs that just aren't good enough. You got excited about it the moment you're writing it and everybody got excited about it. And then the next day you go back and listen and go, eh, this isn't as good as we thought, is it? You know, and um, I can't tell you, it's really very, very difficult to articulate the distinction between those two categories of a song that's like, 
you know, that might, might sound like a hit to the average listener, but to someone with a trained ear, you know that it's not. And the most dangerous songs in the world from a songwriting perspective are the songs that trick you into thinking that it's a hit. Um, and I've written them. Uh, I know a lot of people that have written them. And what are some indicators of that? Like, like, like of a faux hit? It's something, it's, it's hard to explain. You know what it is? It is, if you've been to Chinatown on Canal Street, it is very, 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 very similar. It is, it is this, 99 out of 100 people will pick up that Chanel bag or that Birkin. And if it, wasn't, if it wasn't on Canal Street, if it was in Chanel, 99 out of 100 people, probably 998 out of 1,000 people, if you took a bag off Canal Street from Chinatown and put it next to bags in Chanel, lined it up, I would say that the two out of 1,000 would touch it feel it and go wait a minute something's off here this isn't this is just not the quality it's just not the real thing the other 998 would would pay the money and walk out the door but on repeat views re, and if you take that same bag and you take the person that doesn't know the difference you you put it side by side with the real bag and then you give them enough time to touch the real thing and then touch the one the, the one that's not real and go back and forth the untrained hand and eye will catch the difference and 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 on radio that's the equivalent of repeat listens Mm -hmm. so when a song is just not there's just something not awesome about it it could be a lack of uh usually it's a lack of uniqueness there's a there's there's something that's just a little trite um it's not there's a lack of zeitgeist there's a lack of i mean it depends on the era that you're in it depends on what's happening in musical trends it could be it's too slow. It, it could be a smash record that you delivered at the wrong time. You're just, you know, nobody wants slow records right now. It's summertime. Don't give us a ballad. You know, we already got, we already got uh, Lewis Capaldi. We can't play any other ballads. Like, like you just never know what's happening in the world when you release a record. Um, Sometimes it's right song, wrong time. Sometimes it's right song, wrong artists. Mm. Um, you know, I've definitely delivered a couple of those myself where I, 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 I don't want to say wasted, but kind of wasted a smash on the wrong artist and they knew it and I knew it. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, uh, it's hard though, because sometimes I, I mean, look, I write with recording artists. So what happens when you write a smash with an artist that is a monster and you realize as you, as you're finishing it, this is a smash, but not on the artist I just wrote it with. And, but then the artist selfishly recognizes that it's a hit and they don't want to let it go because it's a hit, even though it's, they don't want to, uh, they don't want to acknowledge the 800 pound grill in the room and not the fact them. that it's not for them. But they can make because more artists, money if they give it away. Yeah, but that would, that would require like really, really like uh, pragmatic, you know, economical uh, thinking yeah. and, and sensible thinking. And, and like when you describe Wikipedia's definition of recording artist, I don't think the the word pragmatic, sensible, or economic is anywhere in that description. So <laughs> recording artists recording artists are inherently narcissistic. Um, all of us are. And I'm not I'm not saying that like I throw myself under the bus. When it's one republic, I, it's me, 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 me. The only way that you can succeed as a recording artist is you've got to take a pretty large chunk of your teens or your twenties and just be a total asshole and just be like, it's about me. Everyone get on, get on board or, 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 or leave me alone. Cause for the next couple of years, next few years, it's going to be about me. And if I can get this thing off the ground 
and, 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 and get it going, then I can start to, then I can start to think about you. But until that moment, it needs to be about me. And that's just, that's, that's the nature of recording artists. What do you say to artists who try to <laughs> that lifestyle and be writers at the same time? Say that again, that do what lifestyle? What'd you say? Like, like somebody who wants to be an artist, but also wants to be a writer in a room. Can you balance both simultaneously? <clears throat> you have Julian Michaels, you have Amy Allen, um, you have Mike Posner. There's um, some amazing examples, bro. right? Yeah, it's difficult. It's extremely difficult. Usually one's got to give. Um, I've been very lucky in my career. Um, other than maybe Ed Sheeran, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know anyone else who's it's, you know, or Pharrell later in life, but he chose to go the Pharrell's solo artist route, like 20 years after the fact, right? Like in your te teens, right? Like all paths are yeah. different. Can you be selfish and be an artist and, and pound the pavement to get your own art out there while still going into rooms with other people? You have to be uniquely your, your brain, the alchemy of, of your, how you process life has to be uniquely aligned. Like your left brain and right brain, the people that do well, that do the best in that era, the most successful artists, by the way, it's not just writers, the most successful artists in the world have one thing in common. They are uniquely left-brained and right-brained. Right now, you have exceptions to that. Prince did not have a left, like there was no left side of the brain. There was no like, like you know, processing business and thinking in terms of like, you know, p's and q's and dotting your eyes and crossing your t's. He was pure art, right? If you're talented enough, if you're Stevie Wonder, if you're Prince, you can you can live in the right brain world, <laughs> and and you know what? Stay there. No one, no no one wants you. Don't come over here. Don't be. Don't hang out with me. Like, I'm not the guy you want to, I'm not the guy you want to be. Right. Um, but for the others, the Paul McCartney's, and these are all people that I know and I've worked with, and I can tell you they are as left brain as they are. They are, they are as analytical as they are artistic. That's a super lethal combo. Um, Ed Sheeran, you know, you don't become the number one touring artist of all time at age, whatever, uh, uh, you know, without being analytical. He, the guy is like, let me go play stadiums where my overhead is like 50 bucks and I'm making 20 million a show. Like, come on, anyone else that gets that big, I don't care whether you two, Taylor Swift, you're bringing $19 million a night of production. Fire. You got you know, fireworks. <laughs> yeah, you got fireworks, you got floating elephants and you got, you know, and, and uh, or Coldplay. And then meanwhile, Ed will go play the same venue three nights in a row with a guitar. That's like, that's called, economic savagery that's what that is economic savagery nobody figured out better than him but if you are if you if you want to live in both lanes you have to be you have to have phenomenal bedside manner you have to be phenomenal in the room you have to be uh always contribute you have to be cons consistent you have to be so good with lyrics and melody that um people that hear your demos would want to stream it as an artist and, and the artists, the artists in the room with you um, wish they sounded as cool as you and want your, want your words and want your, want your melodies. Like it's, you just have to be that good. You have to be an extra level of good. Um, Cause most artists when I write with, um, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not trying to pitch at all. They want, they want all the hits. They're not thinking about pitching songs. That's a, that's a novel bizarre idea for them. 
and a lot of writers like Julia Michaels, when she's focused, like now she's focused on her project and we're going to be working together. She is very vocal about the fact, Hey, I'm let's not turn this next session into a, a song for another artist. As much as I would like another Selena hit or Halsey or whatever, I, I really have to like, if I'm ever going to finish this album, it, it needs to be about me. Right. Like I said a minute ago, it's gotta be about me. Yeah. And it just takes a certain, Julia did not want to be an artist at all. She wanted to be a writer. She likes being behind the curtain and she's kind of acquiesced to the idea that, that she is also a very talented artist and has a point of view. And really that's the distinction between songwriters and uh, pure songwriters and, um, and artists. When I write with dyed in the wool songwriters, they're, you know, the, the, even the most talented, there's no point of view. That's, that is the distinction between the artist and the writer. They don't have a POV. Their POV is, what do you want my POV to be, right? The artist can't help but commandeer the session and slowly just steer the ship uh, creatively. And, and be, why? Because they have a very strong POV. And that is what, the, then all of a sudden you can see in certain sessions, ooh, I think that writer might be an artist. I don't think they realize it yet, but they can't get off their own point of view and they do have something to say, like that'll be interesting to watch, that's, you know, evolve. That's really fascinating. It's all about <clears throat> Ryan, is there a genre <laughs> that you haven't conquered yet that you still want to do? I just signed, or I'm in the process of signing um, a hip hop producer uh, with Murda Beats right now. Actually, Murda and I are forming a little bit of a coalition. Me, Murda, Tommy Brown, um, uh, Monsters and Strangers, and wow, uh, and Mauricio and Andreas, and a handful of we're forming a little coalition right now uh, uh, a new a new publishing entity that will I think the likes of which nobody has ever seen because it's just like strength in numbers yeah. and right so if you want to sign sign to me you're signing to all of us and that way um, you know we we take care of our own um, but uh, hip-hop I'm not an idiot like I said you have to kind of be a a bit of a culture vulture to, to survive long in this, in this uh, career, anything longer than five years in the music industry as a writer is basically you're a dinosaur, like in a good way, in a good way. Um, so you have to evolve. So I'm, I'm intentionally targeting signing um, hip hop producers, urban, if we are allowed to say urban, I don't know if we're allowed to say that anymore. I'm, I don't know what we're allowed to say, frankly, at any, at any point in time. Um, but I'm, I'm shifting more towards that. I would like to, um, make inroads in that. I do have some stuff coming up with, um, I can't say who, who the artists are, but a couple things with Cardi B I'm really excited about. Um, and um, uh, Alicia Keys, I got a bunch of cool stuff coming. Um, Ariana, I, you know, I love pop. I love pop. So, but in you, the, your specific question, any genres, um, hip hop, I, you know, I started as a hip hop producer. What people don't know about me in 2001, two, three, four, nine out of every 10 things I did was pure beats. I, I was selling beats to Koch Records in Atlanta. I was working with, um, you know, uh, Georgia-based uh, hip-hop artists. And the Youngbloods was one of my first cuts out of, out of Atlanta. And I was purely in the hip-hop world. And then I became that, like, that white kid. I was the only white kid. I was the only white dude in any room that I was in for about two or three years. And I, but I became the guy everyone would just be like, Oh, he's good with hooks. He's good with hooks. Put him on the mic, put him on the mic. He'll, he'll, he'll like, he'll come up with a hook. And then they would do the raps. And I was watching uh, VH1 throwback videos yesterday and baby bash came on. I was like, Oh my God. I had like three cuts with baby bash back in the day. Um, 
so hip hop, I want to get back into, I want to get more plugged in in that world. Um, I had my first country number one this year uh, in April. I'm, we have, an, I have another song out right now that if it keeps going, hopefully I think we'll be number one before the end of the year uh, with Lady A. So two, hope, hopefully two number ones in country this year. Um, yeah, I'd like to win an Oscar. I don't, I don't have, I don't have, um, I don't have these weird insatiable uh, urges to break records. Like, thank God, because that's just the worst. Like I need the most number ones. I don't have any of that wired in me. I'm about different experiences. So once I won my first Grammy, I lit, I gave no about winning any more Grammys. I didn't, it with that box was deflated. I didn't care. I got one. I, I ended up with three. I might get more, but I don't, I, it's n literally nothing I think about at this point, but an Oscar to me would just be awesome. So that is a box I would like to check. Um, and you know, movie music, uh, I guess is its own genre. So I'm doing a lot of that stuff right now. Didn't you mention not too long ago that you were working with a uh, black pink. So you're kind of getting into the K-pop world. I have a big, big, big black pink record, um, coming up that I'm really excited about. I might have a couple actually, but like, yeah, I, I, I dove deep into, into the Blackpink world. Uh, BTS took one of my songs and it, they're, it's on hold. So who knows? I don't even know who to talk to about that. Um, yeah, and I've developed, look, I'm, I'm executive producing a handful of television shows and movies right now. I might as well plug since I'm on. Yeah. I'm executive producing a musical with Margot Robbie and uh, her husband, Tom Ackerley. And, the, and it's my dog. <laughs> and the team that did uh, I, Tanya in, in Hunger Games. So we've partnered. We're doing a film called El Beso, shooting it in Mexico. It's a Latin X musical um, on Netflix with a full sound. I'm EPing the soundtrack as well. Um, the Oscar is real. The, the Oscar's in real. It's coming. It's coming. I, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a series with Billy Ray, um, the guy that wrote um, the new Comey documentary or not documentary docu-series or series it's a four-part series on showtime oh, wow. uh, on the on comey's book that comes out uh in end of september it's gonna like shock the world he also wrote captain phillips he also wrote um uh uh uh, uh, well, uh richard jewel hunger games so we're doing a a series right now set in 1973 los angeles off ventura boulevard um called play it loud that i'm extremely excited about um, I'm EPing that with him and Josh McLaughlin. Um, and, uh, that I'm doing, I have a, a scripted series that's all original music based that I created a year and a, just over a year ago that is on Nickelodeon. I brought in Simon Fuller as a partner who is a beast, as you know, with American Idol and Spice Girls. And that's right now it's called Counting Stars. Shock surprise. And, um, <laughs> it is set in a high school, uh, in Southern California that you have to audition to get into. And we did eight months of casting around the world to find the um, six most talented kids I have ever seen. They're all like 14, 15, triple threat, acting, singing, songwriting. Every one of these kids, if they weren't an actor, I would sign them as an artist to a record label. If they weren't a singer, I would cast them in a movie for their acting ability. They are, they are lethal. And we're gonna be uh, shooting the pilot hopefully here in the next two months. And um, all original music, I think this is a series that could last for 10 seasons or longer. It's just because it's a high school, so it just keeps going. And these kids are writing their own original songs. Obviously, I'm behind it. Um, and we're releasing original music every single episode. Um, Great. Yeah, and then I have, a, and then I have a sh a, another show called The Artist that uh, we're doing with NBC. And, and then last but not least, wow. um, last but not least, a non-scripted series that I, I uh, came up with with my friends Mauricio and Andreas, who are the two biggest Latin X producers in the world. Um, show's called One Night Only, and we are um, 
we are doing it with Apple. Like I have to be careful how I word this. It's in, I brought in Live Nation as my partner. It's cool. Me, Live Nation, NBC Studios, and, and, and Apple. And it's um, uh, the most famous venues in the world, which are now sitting dormant for the next 12 to 15 months. Basically, I miss, I miss um, VH1 Unplugged. I miss MTV Behind the Music. Uh, you know, I'm, like, I miss con- like, the concert experience but it's in a different way with, with the stories behind the hits and the totally. songs that changed your life. So I've resurrected, I've, I've kind of Frankenstein, my version of that called one night only. And um, you know, the biggest, biggest artists in the world performing at whatever venue they choose um, doing all their hits and being able to launch a new single, launch a new album off the back of each episode. So right now you can't do traditional marketing artists as you've probably noticed most major artists are not releasing music and have not for months they're they're postponing it which is why tiktok has taken over billboard <laughs> and and now this gives you a platform as a major artist if you're dua lipa the weekend harry styles having the biggest moment of his career can go on and do a 90 minute set do the whole album play all of his hits and then an interview portion where he's talking about the story behind watermelon sugar and and the story behind adore you and all of his history so it's a part docuseries part concert there's nothing like it right now in the world, especially nothing that involves Live Nation and Apple. Um, so hopefully that's a, an evergreen that lasts for years and years because it, it really has nothing to do with the pandemic. It just makes it easier to book talent. Totally, um, you have access to a venue. Exactly. Probably exactly. a little bit cheaper, I guess now. Yeah, a little bit cheaper. <laughs> it is it. We get it. We get the COVID discount. So you really are tackling challenge after challenge after challenge to really diversify what you do and how you spend your day. A lot yeah. of respect. I, do you, I mean, are all the challenges created equal? Yes. I mean, I, I, unfortunately, um, it's just the way I'm wired, man. It's like, you know, I, if it was all about the Benjamins, I would probably just sit around and write songs seven days a week and do nothing else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I write, I have a session today. I just, I didn't have one yesterday. I have one today. I have one tomorrow. So I still write for about four, probably four days a week. Um, I, I get extreme joy out of the process of building something, developing it, having an idea. My favorite thing in the world is six months ago, I was in this Airstream and I had an idea, right? It cost me nothing. And then I chipped away at that idea. It felt like a novel idea, something that I would want to see, watch here. And then I just slowly got the chisel out and chipped away at it, chipped away at it until it formed into something concrete. And then I got it in a place where I started pitching people, saw them light up, and then all of a sudden their bosses light up, and then all of a sudden budgets start getting together and teams start getting built. And before you know it, it's like, and now we're filming, you know, a $3 million pilot for a series and, and, and with the most talented people you can imagine with songs that my, me and my writers have written. And six months ago, it was me sitting in an empty airstream. And so I enjoy that process. I almost am not really concerned about the, yes, I want the end result to be successful. I want it to be a smash, but it's more, it's more about like there once was nothing. Now there's something and that something is hopefully beautiful. And that's really what I, I like to do that. If that's a, if that's a, if that's, if that's a TV show, if it's an album, if, it, if it's, if it's a beverage, yeah, I've created, you know, I have a beverage company and I did the artwork and created the idea and like all those things to me, more or less it's I like the process and I like the challenge. And that's really, I have an insatiable itch to 
crack a code that I haven't cracked. Once I've cracked it, I kind of just go, well, it's like solving a Rubik's cube, man. Like I, I'm never the guy, like I, I watched that documentary the other day about the guys mm -hmm. who can do it the fastest, right? So good. I, I would never be in that documentary because my whole, my whole goal would be, can I solve the Rubik's cube? And then once I solved it, I would go, well, I don't get about how fast I did it. I, I care about the fact that I, I care about the fact that I did it. It's like, what's that quote? It's like, it's not about how long it took. It's about like, did you get there? You know? And that's for me, that's more or less what I approach everything. It's like trying to see if I can push myself. Don't just be like, well, I wrote songs for 40 years. That would be beautiful, but you know, and, and monetarily probably maybe that's that's a better idea, but but that to me would be like me giving up. Ryan Tedder, I appreciate your time and your energy, man. Really, and it's pretty wild. I mean, music, TV, movies, unscripted shows, all things that the world really does need right now. And you're creating a lot of escapes through the art you put out into the world. And I'm excited. I mean, there's a lot on the way. A uh, black pink, Hopefully. just black pink alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> me up. They're awesome. They're awesome, man. That's a fun one. Hard record to do. Easy record to do. Easiest record imaginable. Um, wrote it in honest to God. That was that was ninety minute session with me, Tommy Brown, and Melanie Fontana, and it was like, I just effortless. It, it, that one was easy. That one was that one. They're not all easy, man. But if you work, if you show up every day and you do the work every now and then, like you get one. I, I got a call yesterday. Hey, congrats. Or a text. Can you approve this uh, Alicia Keys uh, um, songwriting credits? And I was like, what? Like, I haven't written with her in years. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a song with, coming with Alicia Keys. I was like, you know, like, like for, but for every one of those, I have 99. Like, sorry, man. You know, it just at the last minute, we found a better song. You know, so like... Just whatever, you know, show up, do the work, and you never know how it pans out. Well, Ryan, when Human is finally out, we would love to do this in person and go through that. <clears throat> That'd be great. That'd be great. When we put it, we will put it out when I know that we're not going to be clobbered by the news cycle. So hopefully that it, there's a vaccine. <laughs> a lot of artists are just sitting around waiting for a damn vaccine. That's honestly what's going on. Fingers crossed. Hey, I really yeah. appreciate you, Ryan Tedder. Thank you for your time, energy, right. and wisdom today, man. And uh, Tommy Brown is one of my favorite human beings on planet Earth. He is the best. Really, the facilitator of the function. I, uh, yep. I appreciate yep. it deeply, and I appreciate yeah. you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank, thank you, guys. Have a good day. This podcast is part of the Zach Sang Show Podcast Network.